I have a special treat for you tonight. A good friend of mine named Larry Pombianco is going to be uh, bringing the message. Larry and I met somewhere in the uh, mid to uh, latter 90s at Denver Seminary when Larry was really what I considered like the coolest youth guy around town. And Dave would like this. Larry was always in, in shorts, always in shorts, and a T-shirt, always. didn't matter what time of the year it was, he was always dressed like that. Um, and he had this rockin' ministry uh, called Tuesday Night at Your Mom's, which uh, was actually, and he might bring this up, I would say it actually was the, uh, the, the precursor to Scum of the Earth. When we first started Scum of the Earth, uh, a lot of folks who had graduated from Tuesday Night at Your Mom's came and became part of the, the core of Scum of the Earth. And so over the years, Larry and I have had contact. As a matter of fact, uh, my oldest daughter, his youngest daughter, are best of friends, and so we had that connection as well. And occasionally I would invite Larry to come and to be part of Scum of the Earth. He, he actually was here in this building in 2008 praying for it before anybody else came through and prayed for it. And uh, finally, uh, we're together. So Larry has been kind of hired as a consultant, so to speak. Uh, hired is the wrong word. Um, <laughs> that would imply an exchange of money, wouldn't it? Um, so, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but Larry's come alongside of us to help us develop a prayer and a worship ministry because that's where his gifts lie. And uh, if you weren't aware of this from... Adam's announcement, uh, we've been talking about it on the 25th. We're going to start that later. I'll tell you more about it, as Adam said he would. But I'm just really excited about Larry being uh, part of what's going on at SCUM here, at least for the time being, until God and the Holy Spirit call him someplace else. Hopefully that's not too soon. But please welcome uh, my friend and yours, Larry Pombianco. <laughs> All right, these kind of microphones don't do me any good because I'm like a roamer, so I have to kind of, I'm usually when I speak, I'm all over the place, so this morning I didn't have to use a mic because my uh, voice has a tendency to fill up a room, so, uh, but I will try to confine myself to this microphone right here. Is it an all-directional microphone, so if I went like this... All right. Oh, gosh, then I would look like a real preacher, wouldn't I? Ooh. Oh, yeah. Now nah, I'm styling. All right, folks. My name is Larry. My last name, I usually do this. My last name is Pombianco. It's Italian for white bread. That's exactly what it means. If it was Spanish, it'd be Pan Blanco. So say, what's the matter, you? It's a Pan Bianco. You know, so like, if you grew up in a time of life where I grew up in the 50s and 60s, I got to get used to going like, all the way over here. It's like, we grew up with eating white Weber's bread. That's me. White bread. That's what Pan Bianco means. And so this morning I was telling him I grew up with white Weber's bread. Spam and Velveeta cheese. 
And that's, uh, yeah, and that's why the girth right here, I got hooked early, man. And we used to take the, uh, the goop around it, and that's what we lubed our cars with, you know. So it was like multi-personal purpose kind of stuff, you know. So anyway, I told that sort of joke this morning, so I figured equal time, you know, so you guys get that. So, But uh, I am really, uh, really been looking forward to this, uh, speaking here uh, tonight. Um, the, su- the subject matter is, by the way, whoever's working the board back there, you guys got, oh, you, look, it's up there. The foolishness of God. There you go. Um, my uh, passion in life, what I'm intense about, what cranks me up, what gets me going, is working with people younger than me. And it's really about being a person who wants to connect. Yeah, I call them kids. My wife doesn't like that I use the word kids. I'm 63. Anybody under 40 is a kid to me. You know what I'm saying? So I call anybody under 40 a kid. So, uh, but my, my passion really is to help younger folks uh, have a very deep connection with Christ, uh, as, as I did when I was, was a, a younger person. Um, so let me just give you a quick background, then I'll, I'll get to what I, um, I'm really going to be talking about tonight. Um, as Mike told you, I used to have a ministry called Tuesday Night at Your Mom's. We were in a warehouse with a huge skateboard ramp. We'd have 200 people come every Tuesday night. We'd have two or three bands play at our place. And we'd have this mosh pit. I'd be out in a mosh pit with kids. They couldn't believe it. This big, fat, white, bald old man was out throwing elbows with everybody else. My rule was always when the first sign of blood, mosh pit shuts down. And you should have heard me uh, defend mosh pits to all my Christian cronies in the suburbs. They're like, oh, mosh pits. Oh, my gosh. I can't, can't, how can you ascribe to mosh pits? It's violent and it's angry. And so what I would say is, okay, let me just get this straight. Your son plays football. He straps on a helmet, his equipment. You get him cranked up on, uh, on the energy drinks. He goes out and he smashes a guy and breaks his leg. He goes, that's my boy. Praise God. What's different than that than a mosh pit at my place? Actually, our mosh pit is probably tamer than your son playing football. So that's how I kind of how I answered all that. So, and plus that was just that's just the way I am. I'm kind of really an on the edge guy. I look all like nice and neat and suburbany, you know. But actually, there's a wild man on the inside. So, uh, I'm always been known for being out on the edge. Uh, and so, um, so. But in the last few years, God's had me in a more quiet, hidden place. So about in March, the Lord of this past year, the Lord began poking me in the ribs. So you got to go talk to Mike. How you doing, man? I haven't seen you in a long time. I knew that was you. Good to see you, brother. Ah, cool. Uh, how's that for a little interruption right there? I haven't seen him for a long time. But uh, and Mark, uh, the Lord began to poke me in the ribs and say, you need to get together with Mike. You need to let him know what you've been doing for the last 13 years. Because like Mike said, you know, we, we, we kind of got with each other and stuff like that. But it's not like we hung out and went camping together or went to Denny's and spent three hours talking about deep things of life. We just kind of were cronies in the same city. And so I said, really? You want me to get together and tell him about 13 years? You know how long that's going to take? I'm an Italian storyteller. You know how long that's going to take? And it's like, oh, my gosh. And I could just see Mike's eyes rolling because... You know, Mike's a kind of a brief kind of guy. 
So, uh, and then the second thing God spoke to me and say was, and I want you to ask Mike if uh, he wants to do a worship and a prayer ministry at Scum of the Earth and tell him you'll help him. I'm like, what? I'm a, I'm a youth guy. I love worship and I ha- I've done events, but I don't know how to do that stuff, but I have a real passion for it. Probably if you ask me anything having to do with younger folks, it's worship and prayer. I'm just really intense about that. And so uh, it had to be like four or five times, and finally I said, okay, okay, I got it, I got it. So I call him up, and he said, yeah, okay, sure. So we get together at some Mideastern, well, I think we had hummus and bread or something like that, you know, like, I'm a Carl's hamburger guy, you know, I was like, so we're sitting there. So it took me two hours, literally, literally, to tell him all the stuff that's been going on, because there's been a lot going on in my life. And uh, then I got to the question, and I'm like, He's not going to go for this. He's not going to go for it. I mean, how many people have come to Mike and said, I got a great idea for scum of the earth, and how many of them have been lame? They didn't work. I hope, like, especially prayer and worship stuff, you know, all the wild people. What's he going to think? But I was trying to be faithful to what God was saying, so I presented it to him. And there was that quizzical look on his face, and we began to process. So over a period of time, I came to the staff to present to them, and uh, long story short, it began to be clear. Mike was really clear with me that he felt like scum of the earth was at a crossroads. Uh, that would be my word. I don't think he used that word. But scum had been coming to, uh, and I think he even shared this message a few weeks ago, that scum had been coming through a really difficult time and that God was getting ready to do more. And it seemed like there is this thing brewing inside of him that this is probably what we need next to kind of get us to a place where I think God wants us to go. So... I always meet people, whenever I get called by God to do something somewhere, they're usually at a crossroads, usually at a Y in the road, and I live and breathe at the crossroads. So anybody that's old enough to remember the band Cream, down at the crossroads, anybody remember that? Uh, Mike's out there, you remember that, Mike? Cream, down at the crossroads, you know, I can't sing very well, but anyway, um, that's where I live and die, and so... Long story short, took all summer to brew this thing, but then I said, let's do it. So we put the, they gave me names of people that seemed to be interested in leading this thing. So they gave me this group of people, and I've had the most, and we've been meeting since like uh, September. Had the most wonderful experience with these young kids. It's been absolutely wonderful for me. I was actually told by some leader here in town. <laughs> you're, I probably shouldn't say this, but this is not going to fly at scum of the earth. There's no hunger for the spirit there. And I'm like, are you kidding me? It's not, you know, because he's rather charismatic. So they get, and I'm like, are you kidding me? God would never tell me to go to somewhere like that if there wasn't. And I found this tremendous hunger for more of the Lord. And not the weird stuff, not weird for being weird's sake, but more. I want more. I want more. I want more of God. And I know I need more of Him. So it's just been a wonderful experience for me. So that's how I got here. That was the whole thing right here. So when I was talking with Mike, he said, what do you think you call your, you call it sermon here? Sermon, your talk, your speech, or whatever you call it. And I said, you know, uh, I guess the best way to characterize my life, because I want to tell you a little bit about me, in connection with a couple of scriptures. I guess the best way to describe my life is being a fool for Christ. 
And this phrase up here comes from, uh, uh, if you could flip to 1 Corinthians 1, there you go. It comes from this, this verse, and we're going to all read it together. There's this phrase in there called the foolishness of God. And later on in the verses, it talks about us being the foolish things of God. And I would say, if I could characterize my life, that is what it would be. When I, when I gave my life to the Lord when I was five years old, and then I really, uh, really gave it over to him when I was 19. I got an invitation, and I didn't, uh, probably if I would have known about it, what was to come later, it's 42 years ago, I would have said, no thanks, but really being a fool for Christ. And when I say fool, I don't mean just like an idiot, you know, or a, a guy that just does dumb stuff for this, like jackass. I don't mean like a jackass Christian, you know, from the show. So I'm not cussing in church here. It's really a show. Although I heard Mike say one the other day, so I figure that's okay. You can do mild profanity here and get away with it, right? But anyway, uh, but just being a, a, a dumb guy for, for the sake of being dumb, but foolish, the foolishness of God is really what this verse speaks about. Let's all read this verse together on three. One, two, three. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written. And then, obviously, we didn't read the written part. But, but it says the, uh, the cross, the cross of Christ is foolish. Now, I looked the word, word up this morning, foolish, foolishness. And the word foolishness comes from the Greek word moron. I'm serious. I said, are you serious? It comes from being a moron. And another word it had in there is a Charlie Brown word, blockhead. So basically it said, the message of the cross is moronic. You're being a blockhead if you believe it. So what the world says, and i got to be honest with you, some Christians that I've come across, even Christians, guys go to church, the cross of Christ is foolishness. Because what does the cross of Christ mean? You guys tell I get intense and passionate sometimes. Is that okay at scum of the earth if I get a little off the wire a little bit? Um, what does the cross mean? The cross means that I can't fix myself. I'm doomed. I'm done. I am a sinner. And I am broken no matter how well off I am, how well educated, how wise I am. I'm broken. And before God, I'm in trouble. And what I subscribe to is a man named Jesus came along and he, he bled on a cross. He emptied his blood out. And God accepted that as a sacrifice for my sin. And I subscribe to that. And I realize I need help. And I need more than help. I need to get saved. So it's kind of like the old Johnny Cash song. I was there when it happened, so I guess I don't know. He talked about getting saved. You know, I need to be saved. The world thinks you're a moron for believing that. I'm just quoting the Greek here. The, wor the, the world <clears throat> and some of Christianity think that you're a moron if you subscribe to that. You're a blockhead. You're a dummy. You're an idiot. But later on in that verse it says, the foolishness of God is the wisdom of God. So my life, once I gave my life to Christ, when I was in this little Baptist church, when I was five years old, yes, five-year-olds can get saved. I was one of them. I was invited into a life that I would become a fool for Christ. Because I'm going to tell you this, 
and Mike set the ground for this last week, so I think I can say this. When you get invited into the Christian life, you get invited into something radical. You know, radical as in like, okay, when somebody is treating you terrible, you forgive them. You don't go all WWF on them. Altus sink in in second Christ. In other words, uh, give money to a church. Save some money aside and give of your goods. It doesn't make sense to people. Uh, spend time reading the Bible. Spend quiet time with God. This stuff, this, this, it seems moronic to people. And then sometimes God will actually do some, tell you to do something crazy that doesn't make any sense. And I'll tell you one thing that God asked me and my wife to do. She was here this morning, not, not tonight. God asks you sometimes to do crazy things. I have never, <clears throat> I have never got anything sane to do from God. It's always, never, it's never sane. It doesn't make any sense. People look at me. I was talking with my friend Glenn over here and Joel today uh, about the last seven years. Seven years ago, my job as youth pastor ended. And what God asked me to do, he came to me through my wife and my daughter and said, we don't think you're supposed to work. I said, so I immediately thought of the two verses in the Bible that contradict that. If a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. If a man doesn't supply for his family, he's worse than an infidel. But the more we prayed about it and we were in accountability, it seemed that God was saying, for a season of your life, I want you to lay down your right to earn a living, and all your time belongs to me. You'll do what I say. And all I want you to do is I want you to tell me about what you need. I don't want you to write a newsletter. I don't want you to do a fundraising campaign. I don't want you to do anything. You know how much that doesn't make sense? That doesn't make sense. I'm a capitalist, folks. I like making money. I like taking care of my wife. I like giving her roses, taking her out to eat. I've been able to do that that much in seven years. But what God's worked in my life has been more precious than I can tell you. I would not trade the last seven years for anything. But it's foolishness. It's foolishness to people. And as, as, uh, as my friend Glenn over here tried to explain this to other people, they're like, why would a guy do that? How does he pay his rent? I don't know. 84 times God paid my rent. That's seven years. Sometimes it came late, but it always came. So when you become, when you subscribe to the cross, you're in for a ride. It will cost you. And that's when you become a foolish thing. I'm not embarrassed to say that I'm a fool. I'm not embarrassed to say that. I'm 63 years old, and I would do it all over again. I grew up in a little. Ba- I grew up going to a little Baptist church. Got saved. I did a little Sunday school thing when I, I remember the altar call. I had my little suit on. That's what we did in the 50s. A little brown suit, my little, my little vest, my little bow tie, and little Sunday school pins. I had my little brown dress shoes, Buster Browns. Anybody old enough to remember Buster Brown shoes? Do they still have them? I don't know. Floorsheim. How about Floorsheim? I don't know if they even... And I remember the altar call, and I went down, I got saved. My life was radically changed after that. <clears throat> I grew up going to Sunday school, and, uh, and um, the main thing that I got out of going to Sunday school at a little Baptist church was I learned the Word, and I became very, very uh, interested in the Bible. 
to the point where when I was a hippie, and yes, folks, I was a real-life hippie. I had big, black, curly hair. I was going for the Jimi Hendrix fro thing, you know. And I could have pulled it off, being a white guy with a Jimi Hendrix fro. I could have pulled it off. But I had the big, black, curly, bushy hair. And um, when I, when I was going to be like everybody else. I grew up in Southern California. I was going to hitch up, up, hitchhike up PCH to go to Canada like everybody else. I was going to be different, go where everybody else was going. So, so what we did was we all used, back, we used duffel bags. So I put everything in my duffel bag, but in the bottom of my duffel bag, I put my Bible that I got in eighth grade. And I just somehow knew that if I took my Bible, God would be with me. I don't know how, I don't know how that works, but I did that. So, so I grew up in a very conservative Baptist church. Then I got to this hippie commune in Quines Creek, Oregon, right off the freeway. That night I got there, I had an experience of the Holy Spirit that just absolutely wrecked my life. I had a life-changing experience, very dramatic. I won't go into all the details, just take too long, but very dramatic. And eventually, after three days, that kind of wore off. And I just stood on a rock with a stream going by, and I was singing this song, and I felt like God just drenched me with himself. And I just remember looking up into heaven saying, Christ, whoever you are, wherever you want me to go, I'm yours. Take me. My life's never been the same since. And I regret nothing. I never look back. All the suffering, everything that's happened to me, I've never looked back. I've never, never regretted the day that I gave my life to Jesus and began following him. And it was at that point in time God imparted a real thing in my heart for, for younger for the younger generations. And then, I, uh, and then I got involved in a very legalistic group. I got involved in a very legalistic group. And uh, I helped move it here to Denver. And eventually it became very cultic. And my wife and I left. I met my wife there. And even in that experience, though, <coughs> they're really big on uh, cultic groups, uh, legalistic groups are very big on submission to authority. And they're very big on giving all your money and blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. But... Once we got through that, and once we got out of that, and the healing began to start for me, I was so thankful in a, in a way that I went through that because I know what that's like now. And I can spot a legalist a million miles away. <clears throat> I would say probably you could call me a recovering legalist or a recovering Pharisee. And I've long since recovered. But in that, all that, all that stuff that happened to me, God did some amazing things. And one of the things that I learned... There was how God can take suffering and turn it into something good because it really was that. And so probably the end of my recovery from that was when, where I met Mike was at Denver Seminary and I got my degree in uh, counseling. And, uh, and uh, I was honestly, I was on my way to be, if anybody knows who this is, Larry Crabb. I wanted to be a famous counselor making 100 grand a year because, you know, counseling's for the rich, not the poor. You guys all know that, right? You know, which one of you would pay $75 to $85 an hour to let somebody tell you you're crazy? All right, I can joke about that because I'm a counselor. But anyway, um, and I got my degree there. A lot of healing went there. And then eventually, while I was there, the Lord called me to be a full-time youth pastor. And I'm like, yeah, right. Like, I'm going to do that. You can't make any money doing that. You know, I've heard all the horror stories. I can't do that. I don't want to do that. Wrestled with God for a year. Finally, my wife, we were just, I had three jobs and I was losing money. And my wife says to me, what's the last thing God told you to do? 
I'm like, uh, I made like, I, oh, I don't know. Let me think for a minute. I know exactly what she was saying. So long story short, out of that, Tuesday Night at Your Mom's was birthed. And it started out as just a little youth group that I inherited this building from these kids in a city called Sheridan. The kids there call it the White Hood because mostly white kids and a lot of Latino kids. But it was mostly white kids that were poor. <clears throat> we had this outreach. And before I know it, all these punks and skinheads, skaters, all kids I was unfamiliar with. The 777 Club. Uh, I forget what you called it. Oh, it's just a little joke between me and him. But uh, and, and we, witches, vampires, you name it. All the underground kids started coming before I know it. I was having 200-plus kids on Tuesday nights, three, two or three bands playing, skateboard ramp. We was, it was wonderful. And uh, we had a music festival that came out, Vision Music Festival, which the guys that run Heaven Fest were kids that were with us in the music. Uh, Glenn and Lynette, were, were me and Glenn and Lynette did that. And, um, and then all, but all of that eventually came down to the end. It, it was over. God, I did my job. And it closed down. I didn't know who was going to take my kids. And then I heard that there, Mike was in the Five Iron Guys. Started Scum of the Earth. And I go, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Somebody took it up. And then God's had been having me do other things, youth pastor stuff. But in the last seven years, I've been more to the side. And God teaching me a lot of stuff. And so all of that to say, the things that I've done. I mean, can you imagine... I mean, look at, look at how I'm dressed. And I, I, but imagine me with shorts on, my big old fat chubby legs with the, show the, sh- with the shorts. You know, and, and it got in, the, in, the, in a room with Marilyn Manson kids, witches and vampires, they got eyeliner on, they got black things on their fingers. You know, they're wearing obscene stuff on their shirts. And I'm like, what? And I loved them all. I loved them all. I loved it. I loved it. But people, people have, what's kind of funny is people love my stories, but nobody wanted to come and help me. <laughs> uh, I think you guys all get that one, don't you? Yeah, you know? And so, um, and so my whole life has been, been this foolishness of the cross and becoming a foolish thing. And so, um, so I guess that's just that in itself is just a little bit of a brief history about myself. But if you really want to know me, if you really want to know me, what you have to know is this. What you have to know is this. This is probably maybe the primary thing God has focused on in me for the last 12 years. What you have to know is that to be a, a, a subscriber to the cross means you'll also suffer. You can't get out of it. If you're really sold out, if you're really in your heart, you're out there and your life is sold out to him, you will suffer. The Bible promises you. And you will just the fact that you don't subscribe to certain things people in the world do and they make fun of you, you will suffer. Doesn't mean we all become prudes and wear a convent thing, you know, nun stuff. And although they have their own foolishness before God. But it doesn't mean that we all have to become hyper-conservatives, you know, and don't do things and listen to certain kind of music and don't watch certain kind of movies. That's all a conviction in the heart. But what it means is that if your life stands for something with Christ, you'll suffer for it. And I think people, do, I think most Christians don't want to suffer. In America, we don't want to suffer. We don't want to pay the cost. 
to what God has helped me do in the last 12 years is to learn how to suffer, to learn how to go through trials, but learn how to worship and pray in the middle of it. Become close to Christ. Because here's what suffering will do. Suffering will either drive you away from God or it'll drive you to God. I don't think there's really going to be any in-between. You can't be on the fence when you're, when you're on the rotisserie with God and he's cranking you around. And the flames are licking up and your fat is drip, juice is dripping in the fire. You know? So I, my examples are weird, but you don't, you'll never forget them. <coughs> I could tell you a couple I got in trouble for that probably would go okay here. But, <laughs> but suffering, yeah. And what, to, what, is, what, what happens when you suffer? One of the things I've noticed with younger generations is there haven't been moms and dads in the faith to show the younger generations how to allow God to turn, turn your tragedy into life, how to turn death into life. Your generation has suffered so much. You guys, I have literally logged in hundreds of thousands of hours in village inns, McDonald's, Taco Bells, you name it. I've been in the most ranked joints, and in the, and in the suburbs it was always Starbucks and Chipotle, you know, because, and I was always glad I had a, 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 an expense account to where I could pay for it because I couldn't afford to take kids out. 20 bucks a pop for lunch where you go to Taco Bell was five bucks back in the day, you know. So I'm like, holy smoke, suburbs, man, they got it nice. But, um, but hundreds of thousands of hours, I'm, I don't think I'm exaggerating. And I would sit and talk when you, when you get the trust of a young person. And they open up and tell you what's going on. I am just stunned at what has happened to your generation. And I'm talking about 40 years old on down. But what I find is that they've settled for coping. They've settled for managing. And i got to be honest with you, coping and managing, sometimes that's all you can do. But what about how Christ can transform your life and bring life into you as a result of your life being crushed? I looked up today, uh, for one reason or another, the saying when Jesus uh, was on the cross where he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. And I know I've just, like I said this morning, I gringoized the whole thing. I I didn't get the the Hebrews twist on that or anything. That was totally white guy language right there. But the word lama is a Greek word that means, a Hebrew word actually, that means, um, it means uh, why. And what the essence of it mean is, why have you left me behind and ground me to powder so I'm like fine dust? What did I do? That's what Jesus was saying there in that one word. I understand what that means. Not like Jesus. But I understand what it means to be ground to powder because of the things that God has taken me through. But what God has helped me to do is how can life come out of that? Your younger generations have had nobody hardly to help with that. And so if you go to the next verse, 2 Corinthians 3.18, this verse has been a favorite verse of mine for probably almost 40 years. This probably encapsulates or captures the essence of what I'm talking about. Let's all read that together. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I love this verse. 
he, Paul is talking about when Moses was on the mountain and he got the law. He, he, got, he got lit up. He came off the mountain full of glory. He was like, he, he like he'd been visiting a uranium mine. And he came off just shining like a light bulb. What he did was he put a veil over his face because the glory was fading and he didn't want the, the Jews to get discouraged. So he put the veil over his face so that they couldn't see the glory fading. What Paul is saying here is, we all still, he's doing a metaphor. We've got a veil on our face until we come to find Christ. When we come to find Christ, God takes that veil off our face. And then what happens is that Christ comes into us. And my, my wife said this morning when I make this next statement, she goes, hmm, I never thought of that. I said, well, I think it's true that here it says we are with unveiled faces. Does that mean our physical face? No. Our heart has a face. You go through all Scripture, it talks about the eyes of your heart, the ears of your heart. Speak from the heart. Your heart has a mouth. There's a spiritual face on your heart. And it says because Christ lives in us, our interaction, you know, we always hear like, Christ is walking beside me. Well, that's not bad. Sure he does. But we don't realize Christ is in me. He's in here. So what it's saying here, God, oh, thank you, man. I'm just getting over being sick, so that's my buddy Joel, excellent drummer, wants to play here sometimes. <laughs> I'm just giving him a hard time. What it says here, it says, your face gets unveiled. And if you look on later in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, it talks about that the gospel of God is, in the, is the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus is limitless. His face is in us. The Christian experience is this face-to-face thing that happens. It's not an outward thing. It's an inner thing where we face-to-face contemplate the Lord's glory. One of the translations says, but we are with unveiled faces, beholding and reflecting. So what happens is that we behold Christ in us through prayer and worship. Then what comes out of us after that, that's ministry. Have you ever been around somebody that you know is close to the Lord? And when you walk away, you say, what just happened to me? I want whatever that guy's got. I've had plenty of times like that. That's because when you get that face-to-face thing between you and Jesus inside, what it says here is that's what changes you. That's what transforms you. It says, we with unveiled face contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed. Transform means you get changed. And the Spirit of God gets involved. See, to me, that's in suffering. When we have suffering, when we have hard times come to us, what needs to happen is we need to slow down and get that face time with Jesus. It's, it's really not about rules and it's not about behavior. That'll come into play. God's target is always the heart. Always, always the heart and the behavior will change. God will change your behavior. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to. I can't quit doing this. I can't quit doing that. I can't quit doing this. I can't quit looking at porn. I can't quit smoking cigarettes. I can't quit doing this. I can't quit cussing. I can't quit punching my wife. You know, or something. Or or I've seen some wives that do a job on the husbands, you know. They're pretty beefy, some of the the wives that I've talked to that, that, 
knock it out with her husband. But they say, I can't change my behavior because God's not interested primarily in behavior. He's interested in where's your face looking? Where's your heart? What's it looking at? And so in suffering, all my life, I've got, I got a father who was an alcoholic. I got a mother who was just, wrote us hard. I went into that cult group. I'm just abused by authority. Took me a long time to recover. And then I've had other situations where I've been in churches that, that did that. And in all of that tragedy, God began to teach me to get with him. To not try to change the outward, but that what he wants to do is change the inward. And so one of the things I shared this morning was, one of the things God has helped me to do, to, to see in this, is that God is a good God. God is, is a good God. But in suffering, it doesn't look like it. Where's God? Where did God go? How come he didn't protect me? How come this didn't happen? How come that didn't happen? And what it looks like is externally, everything points to the fact externally, God's not good. But where the change happens is where we can take the time to be quiet before God and let our soul settle down and let our heart have time for Him to come and meet us. And then the things that we need come. God will eventually change your circumstances. He will change your behavior. But it comes when we do this first. And the main thing is, is in worship and prayer. And, the, and, you know, the Word. But primarily what we're talking about here is worship and prayer. So what I began to learn was, I've got to sit down and i got to find out what God has for me in this suffering. And I think that's a lot of what we're missing. So what we find is people that go through trials and suffering and get pounded by life. And what we wind up doing is bitter and angry people with coarse, coarse, sarcastic humor instead of what Jesus calls us to, love your enemy, to the point where you can forgive them, bless them, and publicly show love to them meaningfully. I had to learn that. I, I never had the whole idea of injustice settled in my heart for the last 12 years. Now I understand, what do I need to do when something unjust happens to me? Well, how did it come? It came from doing this, and this to me is worship. So what we're doing here, so when I came to Mike, what I said was, I think, I think that... I'd like to help you develop a deal where worship and prayer become more prominent. And what, what's the whole idea about worship and prayer? Worship and prayer is really about connecting with God, connecting with Jesus Christ. I won't say just connecting with God, because the God we believe, His name is Jesus. We don't believe in Allah or the other gods. We're not making fun of those people. Just we believe in Jesus. And so what it means is that is that worship and prayer means, and they go together hand in hand. And I said, I think God wants to develop something so beautiful, more beautiful than what's already here. And uh, as we began to talk, and Mike agreed, he said, we're at the point, we need more. And, I, and so what it turned out is that, is that we began to work on this. And, um, but my heart is this. I'll kind of wrap it up with this. My heart is this 
is that I have been a part of event ministries where we do events. I mean, you can't do youth ministry and not have events. You got to do it. People aren't going to sit around and contemplate their navel all day. You know, they don't have the, the kids don't have the attention span for that. They don't have the attention span for being quiet for longer than probably three minutes. So uh, there's nothing wrong with uh, events. But really my heart as we're developing this is that it starts with the individuals. So I think it's a good thing to ask ourselves, do I really take the time? Do I carve out the niche to spend time to behold and reflect? And I don't mean that as a legalistic thing. Man, I I tell you what, in the last seven years particularly, Jesus has become like my heir. I can't even get out of bed in the morning. I'm serious with you guys. I'm just being serious. I've been sick for a year and a half. I got two shoulders that are blown out, pinched nerves in my neck. I got vertigo. I'm I'm surprised I'm even able to stand up here without going, whoa. I've had vertigo for a year and a half. There are times where I can't even get out of bed unless I talk to Jesus first because if he doesn't give me the strength to get out of bed and the courage, I can't do it. He's become like my air. He's my blood. He's my skin. It's not like I have to, uh uh-oh, I have to get my time with the Lord now. Dang, I got so much to do. It's like, dude, I can't wait. Because if I don't get my juice this morning, it ain't going to happen. And I'm not going to be a good husband either. I'm sorry, without Jesus, I'm not a good husband. That's just the, the reality of the fact. Some guys are really perfect husbands without Jesus, not me. You ask my wife, I can't be a good husband without Jesus. And so if I don't get that FaceTime with God and really connect with him as best I can. One of the things I used to, real quick example, when I was in the Burbs, uh, I would band in sports. It's like all the time was band in sports. I'd talk to kids about what's your schedule like. I get up at 5.40. I go to bed at 10 o'clock at night, and I'm, I'm with band or sports or doing homework. But I, so I don't have time to be with the Lord. So here's what I would say. I said, okay, ladies, you guys take baths, not showers. Well, you're in the bathtub for about 15 minutes. Don't you think you can crack the old Bible there? What? Okay, guys, don't you have to visit the bathroom every once in a while? Don't you have to sit there and let nature take its course? Don't you think while you're doing your business, you can have a little talk with Jesus? What? You know, I'm trying to find practical ways to do this. What about on your drive to school? Well, I don't live four blocks. Well, drive slower. (laughs) And so my heart is, is I'm asking God for everybody in this room, everybody in the morning church, God, can we have kind of like this thing happen where everybody, if like far away, can, can come back or people that have been struggling for a long time because your life seems so brutal that the tragedy one after another won't stop? Can we, ha- can we have you come and visit us in such a way that that thing gets done again in us where the hunger and thirst for Jesus becomes the primary motivation for everything we do? So we want to spend time. And then in the, in the events, in the events, can you come and show up and sit with us? That's my heart. 
to foster that, to be a, a change agent like that, to be used by God. So our first deal is January 25th, Friday night. It's going to be three hours long, a couple, three worship bands. We're going to have stuff for people to do. The whole church invited. Hopefully people can stay for most of it, but you can't. You know, some people are like, dude, man, I did this for an hour. Now I got to go get something else. That's probably ADD boy me would probably do that. But you can come and go as you want. You can come and stay for 45 minutes. You can stay for 20 minutes. Stay until you get something from God. But we're asking God to show up in a, in a powerful way, but in a, tender, in a tender way, in a way that everybody, no matter what form you relate to Christ, it's not going to be this narrow thing. However you can relate to Christ, you can be, sit down to a table with him and have a meal. Be spiritually fed. Have your heart comforted. If your heart's cracked, dry skin, maybe some water. Some, Jesus can be your lotion. But just come on Friday night. And, and, and we're, we're going to do that sort of tag-teaming thing. Help pray for the individual, but also for, um, for our events. Draw us closer together as a body. So I have no smooth way of ending this. That's about all, uh, Napoleon, uh, no, not Napoleon Dynamite, uh, Forrest Gump. That's all I have to say about that. So uh, I would just like to end with a prayer. And I think you got some worship coming up. And, um, and also during the worship, I forgot, is it like at the end of the worship or during the whole, I'm still not used to all the, during it, the prayer cave will be open if you want prayer. I'll be around to pray with people if you want me to pray for them. Not that I have a special like avenue here, but some, anyway, I'll be around for that. And thank you again for letting a fat, bald old man come and share a little something with you guys. That's it. Oh, I forgot the prayer. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> like what's happening here <laughs> father i want to thank you so much for our time here Lord, we invite you now into this church in more you know it says uh, john the baptist said i must decrease and he must increase we're asking now lord for you to bring less of us and more of you we invite you to engage with us we invite you to engage with us individually and as a corporate body we want to thank you lord that you would even think enough of us that you'd want to engage with us. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for tonight. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.